good evening. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Brother Sean Holt. I will be facilitating our class tonight, Wednesday night. Um, we are doing a study of First Kings. And uh, before we have a quick word of prayer, I wanted to uh, make sure to say, everybody in the church, please continue to pray for um, Dr. Henry Jenkins. One of the good brothers uh, that I know from, he's a member at Beltway. Um, his family comes and worships with us sometimes. He had knee surgery last week. Good guy, he's my chiropractor. Uh, if, you, if you messed up, he'll sort you out. Good guy. Um, it was kind of funny as I was in seeing him a couple weeks ago and he was giving me an adjustment and working on my feet. I got some foot problems and he looked up under my feet and he made a face. And I said, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, doc, what are you doing? Making that face like that. And he said, yeah, bruh, as we getting older, you know, this could probably help this, help alleviate this situation if you, like myself, lost a few pounds. And I can honestly say that that gave me a Pharisee moment when I started talking to him about, no, no, preach to me smooth things. Don't tell me the truth. Preach unto me smooth things. <laughs> so let us have a quick word of prayer uh, and we'll get started. Uh, let us pray. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for letting us to come out here tonight. We thank you for allowing us to assemble, assemble both near and far as a family to study another portion of our word. We ask that the things we learn tonight help us in our everyday Christian lives. And please, Lord, open our minds and hearts to the things that you would have us to know. Your son's name we pray, amen. Another quick announcement is that we want to also, uh, she's probably out there in Zoom land listening, Sister Cook made it back to this side of the country, safe and sound, after a healthy and happy and prosperous visit with the offspring and the, the new, new grandchild, excuse me. Another one on the way though, right, bro? Okay, um, man's tribe is increasing. <laughs> Um, so we're happy to have her back here safe and sound. Um, so um, just jumping into it, one of the things that I wanted to do, this is the leftovers. Um, the leftovers are kind of interesting this week because I'm reporting a couple of things that I saw during the week and last Sunday. Now, I often don't do plugs for television shows, um, but at 7.30, on Sunday mornings on the CW, if you got Comcast, there's a show called In Search of the Lord's Way. Um, the minister, the minister's name is Phil Sanders and it is broadcast from the Edmond Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is an actual Church of Christ uh, program and it's, and it's got to be national. If it's Edmond, Oklahoma and it's showing up in Greenbelt, Maryland, then this was the first National Church of Christ program I've seen back home growing up. You might find the Church of uh, Christ program on Brother McNeil down in South Carolina, Columbia, he does one, but it's on like a, a public access channel and it looks like it's, it's you know, it doesn't have the high production value and all that stuff. This is a, they got production value here. It's, it's, it's a good show too. I, I talked to my mentor about it a couple weeks ago but I didn't want to mention it to everybody until I, you know, I had to watch it a couple of times to, you know, make sure that it's the right thing. I mean, I'm sure we've all had that experience at least once in life, traveling somewhere, visiting, and you look in the phone. Well, I go back that far. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> and you look on the, I was about to say nowadays you look online, but traveling when I was younger, you you look in the phone book, find the Church of Christ, and you go there and you show up and the first thing they do is the band gets up and goes in there. And so I had to check this show out first to make sure it was really Church of Christ folks. They, they say the right things, offer the invitation, they sing the right songs because just because you put Church of Christ on don't make it Church of Christ. You can put a cat in the oven and that don't make it a biscuit. Um, but this is, a, this is a, a good show. If you're up that time of morning uh, on Sunday, um, I would check it out because um, like I say, I have not seen a national uh, Church of Christ show like that. 7.30 in the morning on the CW, Phil Sanders in search of the Lord's way. Um, Another thing that happened this week was an inter interesting conversation with Mike Smith. Now, Mike Smith is not a member of the church. Mike Smith is a, a good buddy of mine that I work with. And we are studying and training for this uh, Security Plus certification test that we have to take on Saturday for the job. And we have, when you spend that much time with somebody working, you get into some philosophical conversations. And he told me about a certain situation and we end up coming to this conclusion behind it. He went to the drive-through this week, grabbed some food. And we, we both come from similar backgrounds, military families, um, and we do have a lot in common, uh, both in IT, of course, work for the same company. So we do have a lot of things in common. And when the person got his order right, repeated it to him and everything, he, he, he said he had to pause for a second to think about it, because as growing up and people that have been around me interacting with me know I come from a military family, so I'll say yes, sir, no, ma'am, that type of thing. And he said, to be courteous, he wanted to say, well, thank you, ma'am, or something like that, but then he thought about it. He really couldn't tell how the person identified how things are nowadays. And he was like, and I, it gave me pause that if I'm just trying to be polite and say, thank you, ma'am, and then they go, oh, well, I'm not a ma'am, I'm, you know, he's getting all of that. Then all of a sudden, he's charged with a hate crime, he loses his uh, clearance, and that is a problem with what we actually do for a living. So it's, it's, it's so extreme, and it coming out of Brother Cook's message for Sunday about how being in tune with God is a lot of times being against the world or having the world be against you. But it's just crazy how decency and order, things have become so topsy-turvy that they've weaponized manners. And when he used that term, I, that, it resonated with me and it stuck with me. I said, wow, that is true. You have now weaponized manners. If you got people scared to be courteous in the way that they, from the way that they were trained and grew up, it made me think of a couple scriptures. I'm gonna get the Kings in one quick second. I just had to deal with this though. And that was when they were talking about, uh, well, two different scriptures that popped in my head. One is talking about in, in 2 Timothy 4, two through four, when it says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. For there will come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having each itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. And that was one of the things that made me think about how manners have, what's up, Dixie? Have been weaponized in today's 
society. Another one that made me, another scripture that brought up to my mind was Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. And that one uh, reads, warn to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. This conversation that I had with my buddy about not being able to even be polite to someone who's you know, waiting on you in line or, or, or helping you out with something and not even be able to be polite predicated upon how, as, as my mentor would say, if you was raised in a decent house, how one would say, you know, you would thank people. Hey, thank you for that. Thank you, sir. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anyway, I ain't going to beat a dead horse further to death. So we'll jump right into the recap. Okay. Last week, uh, we started out in chapter five. And we read kind of down through it. I got about halfway through the history that we were talking about with uh, the king of Tyre, Hiram I, um, doing a historical study on him is kind of interesting. I get kind of a picture of this guy, and we're going to get into it a little bit later. Um, <clears throat> but we talked about the opulence and prosperity um, that was on display, um, the amounts of daily food prepared, which was called victuals. But I got a good text from my buddy Floyd Fowler before church, and he said I can call him vittles. So anybody got a problem, you talk to Floyd. And if you talk to Floyd, you got to talk to me too. So. Um, the king's table, 40,000 stalls of horses, just the great prosperity that the Lord had blessed upon Solomon according to his promises. Um, the next thing we talk, talked about was even though they were being blessed like this, this was quite a stress on the 12 uh, officers. Um, we jump back over in four when it says that he appointed the 12 officers. Um, and doled out all the different provinces. We went to a little bit of history of uh, what the provinces were about um, two weeks ago. Um, but this will come into play later. And I foreshadowing a little bit with Jeroboam and Rehoboam when the kingdom breaks apart again, like a funny car, um, you get the Northern Kingdom and you get the Southern Kingdom. And like I said, I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself, but that's gonna come into play later. Um, the actual amounts over time that they have to keep kicking up upstairs. And then his son wants to make it tax even more, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, and a reintroduction of Hiram of Tyre and also mentions the Sidonians, which came from Sidon. Um, King Hiram the first, which we had, we jumped back in and saw where he had been uh, David's royal builder as far as David's palace when he went and kind of volunteered after the dust had settled. He made sure he saw the winner. Some of his actions gives me kind of a, an interesting perspective on Hiram, but we're gonna get into him in a minute because talking about the history of the Sidonians, which gave us the, the tire, uh, tire and the tyrants, um, which was huge in, in the Phoenician empire. Those were the two main states, which eventually found founds Carthage, but we're gonna get into that in a little bit. It's, it's very interesting, very interesting. Um, so let me, okay, 
this is where we're going to pick up uh, today. We were in First uh, Kings chapter five. We were right at verse ten, as I remember. Um, and earlier, after we had kind of gone through seven and eight and nine, we had gone over to Second Chronicles, the second chapter, because this gave a much more detailed kind of layout of what he really ordered, what he was going to pay. Um, one of the things that it talked about uh, when it's foreshadowing, I believe it's in seven, when Hiram Abiff, not King Hiram, actually comes and works uh, in chapter, uh, excuse me, in verse 14, when it talked about, because I went back and looked and it said, a man of Tyre, skillful to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron, in stone and in timber. Of those items that were listed there, it's very interesting that the Sidonians were known for their, one, they had some military prowess. They wasn't big time like the Hittites and, and the Ites and, uh, and all those folks, but they were solid. They were known for their ability to work metals. They were also known, as it said earlier, when uh, Solomon is talking to Hiram about using the Sidonians to hew the Lebanese cedar that they were going to bring, the special techniques that they had learned and had carried on down. Like I say, if you go look up uh, Lebanese cedar right now, it'll talk about special cutting techniques and things that are used. So I'm, I'm not connecting those dots, but I'm not jumping the shark either. That could be passed down, but we'll see. But one of the things that was interesting, oh, also in timber and in stone, they were also known as great harvesters of the resources that were great, that were in great demand. Tyre learned to process them a little bit more because, uh, which it, well, the Sidonians, as they expanded, moved down and took over Tyre. Tyre was an interesting kingdom. Part of it was on the island, part of it was on the mainland. And that remained an island until it became an isthmus because when Alexander the Great was romping through the whole Mediterranean on his way to India, he ends up taking this over. He actually builds, he builds a land bridge because he wanted to take Tyre proper, the main city, which was on the island. So he built, I think it's called a mole, which is a really long pier from the coast all the way out to the island. And that has changed the geography of that region over there because uh, with the sediment and things that have collected and everything, that's actually become like a real piece of land where they've built houses on it and there's roads running across it and the whole night. So it's very interesting the way that works. Tyre became very rich due to, they became master shipbuilders first and foremost, and that was from the uh, Lebanese cedar that's uh, harvested by their older brother, older cousin, but, or older sister city, um, Sidon. And they also were known, because I saw those colors in there, in purple and blue and in fine linen. There is actually um, a thing called uh, Tyrian purple, which was the top of the line color back in those days. Very, very expensive. They could almost build an economy off of it. And it is because of the what are those called? They are a nocturnal carnivorous sea snails that live in that part of the world. Now, who decided to pull that up, crack the shell open and find out they could dye stuff purple? May the Lord increase his tribe. 
but um, it's so funny because if you go look it up, talking about Tyre, it'll, it'll, it gives you a whole little section about Tyrion Purple and how it was sought after. And then with the opening up as he started working with David, as we, uh, excuse me, with Solomon, and now those trade routes opened up, Tyre started making money hand over fist. And my daddy always told me, it's very hard to fight. It's hard to punch somebody when you're making money hand over fist. Um, but eventually, and it's, it's funny because Tyre and the king of uh, Israel are tied way down the line and down the list because Hiram the first is actually, and I might have this wrong, please forgive me if I am, I might have one too many or one not enough. He is actually the great, 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 great grandfather of, hold on, I got it written down here. Uh, what is his name? Oh, Ithobal. Ithobal is brother to Jezebel. Jezebel who married Ahab. So all of this stuff is connected. Um, and then they have children and they come on down, come on down, come on down to a, a woman named Dido who is who left Tyre and went and founded Carthage. Carthage became the big Phoenician city in the western part of the Mediterranean. Now, I'm not trying to do a history lesson, but as I started studying these people, I was like, this is, this is good stuff here. Um, and yes, that's the same Carthage that gave us Hannibal that had Rome shaking like a coconut on the tree in a windstorm. Um, but, but very interesting is that, uh, and Josephus actually writes uh, history of King Hiram um, the first. It's very interesting because there's not a lot directly in here, but looking at some of his actions, I get kind of a, I get an interesting picture of this Hiram. He seems to me as almost an opportunist because it's been twice. With David, he waited until David had been established over Saul before he decides to go and volunteer to buy him, uh, build him a palace. They were known as excellent builders because Tyre had an island. And you know, when you got an island, you limited real estate. So they were some of the people that, that first invented uh, being able to get up over two stories with building. We'll see that later when it comes to the temple, they actually use some building techniques that are kind of cutting edge for that day and time, but I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself. Um, so he seems to me like a little bit of an opportunist because even when he comes and talks to and starts pledging all this stuff to Solomon, it's after uh, he's already dealt with and we're not gonna go back and all of that. Dealt with his brother who tried to usurp the throne and all that. It's like this guy sits and waits to see who's the winner gonna be before he goes, oh yeah, I always knew you could do it. Yeah, we all know people like that. Some of us are related to people. I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna leave that alone. So <clears throat> as we were looking at this, it's, it's, it's very interesting that Hiram, I kind of draw a correlation to him um, to this day and age uh, with someone who is, uh, hold on one second, my notes. Yes, um, he basically became the royal builder. He became the royal builder because he did David's palace, he did Solomon's palace, and he built the temple, which was the most important uh, piece of architecture in the kingdom, probably up until that time. I don't want to speak too surely on that, but I, I think I'm right on that as far as if we're talking about a big, great public work. Um, it kind of reminded me of a gentleman named Mohammed bin Awad bin Laden. 
Yeah, we know the father, that's the father. We all know who the son was. There we go. Okay, I'm sorry, I haven't had my slides going, everybody. This is where all that, we just went back through all of that for the people online. I know y'all see me just kind of flipping real fast. There we go. That's this gentleman here. He became from nothing. He became one of the biggest builders in the world. I mean, I've read his history. What he comes from is, I'm talking about dirt floors. Plumbing was a shovel and direction being pointed. And I mean, it was, it was, he comes from rough backgrounds, but he became the royal builder through, um, kind of, he was, he was well-liked. He knew how to deal with people. He knew how to make moves in those circles, but he eventually came to the point where he was the richest Saudi, not in the royal family. He became known as the royal builder and was the only one who could build on, you know, and that, part of the world's very big Muslim influence. He was the only one that could build in Saudi Arabia, as far as mosques and things of that nature and religious buildings, not only there, but in countries that Saudi Arabia had big influence over either militarily or because they depend on their oil or monetarily. Either way, if you're gonna take the pocket or you're gonna kick me in the pocket, I'm not messing with you. Um, but he was even up until 1967, he was the only one that was allowed to repair any of the four major mosques that's in the Muslim faith. Um, the main one was the one in Al-Aqsa, which is in Jerusalem. The other three other Muslim sites is in Mecca, Medina, and Damascus. Those are where the other four are. We're not here to give you a history on the, what the Muslims consider their holy sites, but they're interesting. Um, and as I say, he became the royal builder. It's very, I draw the same kind of comparison to Hiram. It's very interesting. Like I say, we know the father, but we also know who his son was. And as we're talking about fathers and sons and the way wealth and power has moved from father to son, father to son, with Hiram and his sons moving down, David and his sons moving down, should have been Saul, but he messed up. Would have been him. Jonathan would have taken over, would have been great. Um, and when you don't do right, you don't train your children up the way that has been laid out and repeated through a theme in here, this is what you can end up with. And that's no good at all. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump back into five and verse 10, and we're gonna start to read. I'm actually gonna put some of the heavy lifting on some of my brothers in here tonight. Joe, you got the mic, you got a hot mic? because we're gonna get some people reading. Oh, Elder Wilkins, thank you. Um, I'm gonna take the first couple parts of this and then we're gonna, I'm gonna ask for some brothers to read a piece of the scripture here and there. Now, um, uh, as we continue on, like I said, we're gonna start at uh, verse 10, chapter five. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and firs according to all his desire. So he basically filled, he basically filled the purchase order. Um, and Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil, thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. Um, normally I would have gone and kind of tried to pull what that monetary value would have been worth, but like I said, I've been studying for this exam on Saturday, so please forgive me for not doing, doing that math. I've been talking about encryption 
and TLS 1.0 versus TLS 1.3 for the last 24 hours is getting rough. It's getting rough. We're going to do our best to pass that thing, though. Yes, we are. Okay. So we're here at verse. Okay. In verse 12, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two made a league together. That means essentially made a treaty, just like um, Solomon had done earlier with his first marriage to the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time, kind of taking some notes from his father, using marriage to form alliances to get peace, um, which is just as effective as military strategy um, at times, and lots less costly in terms of lives and in terms of resources. Um, now, chapter, uh, verse 13, and King Solomon raised a levy out of Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men. That was a draft for workers. Um, as we could flash back over to chapter four, one of the people that he put uh, in charge of the tribute, the tribute was a levy. Levy, this was the guy that was in charge of keeping all these folks focused and doing what they needed to do. Um, Verse 14, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month by courses. A month they were in Lebanon and two months at home and Adoniram was over the levy. That was the guy that first got the job back in chapter four. He's just being repeated here. Now this was interesting because like I say, this is one of the first times that I look at it as seeing a corporation when you have a big task or a big job and you're breaking it down into pieces and you're setting a work schedule and you're setting payments and you're getting your supply chain lined up. Bless you, sister. Um, oh, no, don't apologize. Lord's okay with you. <laughs> um, but also now this is where he's starting to actually set up a workforce rotation. 10,000 men a month where he had 30,000 he raised and then he would send them in rotation uh, at 10,000 a month, as it says here. And working that math, hold on, it is, yes, I did do this math. It was very interesting that the distance between where they mustered and where they were going to work is approximately 249 miles. That's on foot, y'all, carrying everything that you need for the journey. So, um, walking at an average pace, it, was, it would take approximately 84 hours for a human being to make that trek on foot, carrying everything that you needed to get there. That's about two weeks. If you go eight hours a day, you know, you got to stop on Sunday and, and, and handle your business with the Almighty. But it would take them, basically, they would work for a month, then traveling home would take them about two weeks. Then they'd be home for a month, then traveling back would take about two weeks. So he had a perfect, well, not a perfect rotation going, but a very efficient rotation going. And this is one of the first times that I've seen, and you know, I like to always say this, the first uh, biblical example of a work rotation. I wouldn't say forced labor because the Israelites had already been through that. The Egyptians had that covered. So, um, so that wasn't the first levy that had been raised before. And verse 15, and Solomon had three score and 10,000 that bear burdens and four score thousand hewers in the mountains. 
So this is where you're seeing divisions of labor, job descriptions. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300, which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. So he's, we've also, we've also seen this theme running completely throughout 1 Kings 2. Solomon taking notes from his father and he's very organized with things. He has work schedules, he says, you're doing this, you're cutting wood, you're carrying wood, you're digging stone, you're carrying stone. You make sure he keeps cutting, he keeps carrying, he keeps digging and he keeps carrying. So laying all that out, I love to see the, the order and the management style that he actually has. And learning that from his father just makes it all the better. Um, in my personal book, that is. Yeah, one key word for that Please. is organization. Organization, thank you, Elder, absolutely. Everything decent and in order. <laughs> and uh, verse 17, and the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. So this is our first biblical example of a groundbreaking. <laughs> And then uh, verse 18, and Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them and the stone squares, so they prepared timber and stones to build the house. So that's just saying workers, they broken ground. Now work, they, the contract's been signed. They've broken ground. Now that they've organized the schedule, secured the supply chain, now it's time to get to getting. So he actually starts uh, building. Now we're gonna, Jump over to chapter six. Give me one second to square up my notes here. There we go. Okay. There we go. Okay. Yes. Chapter six. Okay. Uh, it's very interesting here. And it came to pass in the 408th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, told you that was covered in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziph. Now, I went and looked that up and there's not a direct correlation given to it, but the, based on what the time period was and what that calendar was, matching that converting against the Gregorian calendar, which we use today, this would be the equivalent of sometime late April, early May. This makes sense to me because if you were getting ready to start building a project, Winter's just kind of gotten out of the way. Raining season's kind of slowing down. Weather's about to get nice. This is the time for building. See, it's not like they don't have all the technologies we have and can throw up a top or a dome or something and build in it. Rain, natural, um, all the things of nature, they were a lot more susceptible to that just because of the level of technology at the time. But um, as we uh, continue on in chapter six, verse one, um, Solomon reigned over Israel in the month of Ziph which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. So this is just a continuation from five and the six saying, okay, um, things are getting to rolling now. Um, um, everything is getting rolling now um, as far as building the temple. He builds his house after the temple's completed. Um, Solomon's temple is actually mentioned in, in as a debatable thing in one of the, as I was researching the, uh, you know, the greatness and the grandness of Solomon's temple, that at one point in time, if you look at the seven wonders of the world, 
there's different lists. You have the modern world, you have the ancient world. The ancient world is considered very geographically kind of put together uh, with even one or two of them being questioned if they really ever existed. The only one that we still have uh, evidence of existed, of course, is the Great Pyramid at Giza, which is the number one and the oldest wonder of the world that's still remaining. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon are debated and they were saying what other things would take place. Well, Solomon's Temple was in the top two on all the lists that I looked at as far as its splendor, as far as its grandeur, as far as its the things that it took to build it at the time were all cutting edge. And as we start getting into seeing what's actually in here, I mean, this temple is laid out, y'all. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be able to, to worship in something as grand as that, because you got all that gold in there, that's some temptation. Oh, the worst kind of temptation, the time you kind you fall prey to if you have the love of money and that was a comment from Brother Womble, those online. Uh, <laughs> thank you, brother. I know, right? Okay. I know that's right. Okay, chapter, uh, verse two, still in chapter six. In the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof was 20 cubits, and the height thereof 30 cubits. Okay, now I warned everybody about we would eventually hit this part of Kings. This is the part that, now I'm gonna leave that alone. Everything in the Bible is important and is there for our edification. So um, looking at the different aspects here, we all know what length is, length is length. We all know what breadth, breadth is considered width and then height of course is considered tall or how high something is. Now, a score is equal to 20. And I got some, it was, it was kind of hard for me because like I said, I've, I've been a little preoccupied with studying, so I haven't been able to drill down as far on certain things that I would like to, but a cubic has been described of the distance between the tip of a, a man's middle finger and his elbow. Um, and kind of, I gotten two different uh, measurements that they're saying a cubic was somewhere between 18 inches and 20.63 inches, depending on Hebrews versus, exactly, <laughs> depending on who the king was. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> so just, and, and like I say, I apologize. I was gonna have all this math done for y'all, but unless somebody wants to come and start helping me with hashes and, 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 and algorithms as far as encryption, I see Joe over there looking up. Uh, <laughs> then please just go with, with, with what I do have. Now the height, I did um, make the conversion for that. So if you want to do the whip, the breath, everything else, you'll have the formula. Please go home, this is not homework. But if you want to know the real sizes, that's what they were. But just dealing with the height um, that he said, uh, dealing with those two measurements, this building for at the time was between 51.575 feet and or I should have done that the other way, 45 feet, 51.57 feet. So somewhere between four and a half and a little over five stories. This for that day and time was not something that was just like we see now, you drive down DC, you drive downtown Baltimore, you see cranes that are, you know, 30 stories tall. They're throwing neighborhoods and, and, and condos and, and, and 
everywhere, places you didn't think that they should fit. Yeah, but remember, this was before cable and iPhones and all this other stuff, yes, so sir. they had time. <laughs> That's true that. Thank, thank, thank you, Brother Elder. Um, uh, so if we go uh, reading on down, uh, uh, starting at verse three. Say that again, brother. Sorry. Comment. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, well, let me pause that for everybody. Anybody has a comment, addition, question? Anybody? Okay. All right. We're good. All right. Uh, verse three. And the porch before the temple of the house, 20 cubits was the length thereof, according to the breadth of the house, and 10 cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. And for the house, he made windows of narrow lights, and against the wall of the house, he built chambers round about, against the wall of the house round about, both of the temple and of the oracle, which was the, where, the, where the ark was going, kind of the inner sanctuary, and he made chambers round about. This is just starting to discuss some of the architecture and the layout of what was being built. The nethermost chamber was five cubits broad, and the middle was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For without in the wall of the house he made narrowed rests round about that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. That was a new building technique at that time. That was not something that was common. That was one of the things that kind of gave the Sidonians and therefore the Tyrians, because they were almost, they, they're geographically they're close. They're of the same people. So I just, they've been used interchangeably depending basically who was the king at the time, who was kind of running things till, until Carthage comes and, and then we all know how that ends up. Um, so, uh, getting back down to, right, and that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. Like I say, this was a, an, an advanced architectural technique, um, an innovation, so to speak. Um, then we go to verse seven, and the house, when it was in building, was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor ax nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. And this was sort of a, you're building the house of the Lord, it's a respect thing. You don't come and prepare things here. You prepare them and bring them to us. And then we put it together. Now, at, the, at this day and time, you have to think that just in and of itself, this was, to me, I would have, people that love science and technology and all those things would have had to look at Solomon and go, wait a minute, now all these expensive things, because I could just cover expensive stones, Le the, uh, Lebanese fir, I mean, everything top, uh, Lebanese cedar, fir trees come in later, I'm sorry, y'all, misspoke. Um, so we know that all of these things were, were expensive top-notch materials of the time. Now, normally, I don't know too many people that, and like I said, I work on, me and my mother have a business together, uh, rehabbing properties and renting them out, same kind as Brother Womble. When you have a work crew on site making repairs, you want them on site so they can take a measure, they can hold materials up. But if you're cutting them so precisely and so perfectly, a hundred miles away and then they're coming here and they're fitting together like bric-a-brac, ain't nothing missing, no waste. That in and of itself, I don't know if anybody who's tried to get one of their rental properties, bathrooms redone, 
that's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, maybe it, it takes a certain point of view to appreciate it, but working with these top-notch building materials off-site and bringing them on-site in and of itself is something, but also showing the respect for the house to not have uh, was neither hammer nor ax nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was building. Um, so uh, can I get a reader? Well, I'll take eight to 10, then I need a reader for 11 through 14. Okay, no, matter of fact, can I get a reader for eight through 10? Thank you, brother. Help us with some of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. yeah. The entrance to the lower floor was on the south side of the temple. Stairway led up to the middle level and from there to the third. So he built the temple and completed it, roofing it with beams and cedar planks. And he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. All right. So we're getting we're getting some more about the temple. We're getting so and and and, and uh, I was when I was kind of running through this lesson with my mentor, we kind of chuckled here. He, I would steal his jokes. He said, "Yeah, now they put that in there just in case the building inspect the building inspector came by." make sure everything was up to code. <laughs> Can I please get a reader for verse 11 through 14? Thank you, brother. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father, David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and, not, and will not forsake my people, Israel. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. All right, all right. That starts out with Solomon, uh, excuse me, with God calling Solomon up on another Zoom meeting and reminding him once again, this has been a theme that we've been seeing through the whole situation where God has said that to him multiple times. His father said that to him multiple times. We've just seen that as being a constant theme. Now it's interesting that God is reminding him of this. And I was just thinking uh, to myself, and now once again, this is coming from the book of hope, this ain't in the Bible. But I was thinking, he keeps repeating this to Solomon over and over and over again. And if you think about all the things that the children of Israel did, even as God was bringing them out of Egypt and the whole situation with the golden calf and Moses, you brought us out here to die and just complaining. I was like, the Lord probably kept reminding me of this because he was still shell-shocked dealing with them people before in that wilderness. I mean, I'm not saying that, that's a joke, y'all. I'm not saying the Lord gets shell-shocked. I said I would get shell-shocked. It's time to start some more people dropping dead. We got to get y'all back on the stick. Can I please have a reader for 15 through 21, please. We are in First Kings 6, and this is 15 through 21. He lined its interior walls with the cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He petitioned of 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with, with cedar boards from the floor to the ceiling, 
the form within the temple and the sanctuary, the most high, the most holy place. The main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ground, with, with, with gourds, gourds and open flowers. Mm -hmm. Every, everywhere, everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide and 20 high. He overlaid the inside of the, with pure gold. Pure. And he also overlaid the altar of cedar. All right, so as we're seeing here, as we're reading on down through here, we're seeing that top-notch building materials, coating stuff in pure gold. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the temple, y'all. I mean, this is the house of the Lord and he's making it as magnificent as he, as he humanly and earthly possibly can at this point. Do we have another reader that can pick up and give me another five verses? We got one. Thank you, sister. Appreciate it. From 21? From 21, yes, ma'am. Take us to 26, if you don't mind. And Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. And he overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also the whole altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary, he overlaid with gold. In the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. Five cubits was the length of one wing of the cherub and five cubits the length of the other wing of the cherub. It was 10 cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. The other cherub also measured 10 cubits. Both cherubim had the same measure and the same form. The height of one cherub was 10 cubits, and so was that of the other cherub. Thank you, my sister. So as we're seeing here now, if completed the structure, that's the framing, and now they're doing the finishing work. You got your ground clears, your architects, your frame guys out the way, now you're bringing in your plumbers, your electricians, your HVAC man, Brother Womble's back there nodding. <laughs> he's like, he's been through this once or twice before. But as you can see with everything, I'm sorry, Brother Womble comment? Okay, I, I always want to comment from Brother Womble, that's all right. But as you can see, he's, he's now he's finishing everything up, laying down the cedar, putting gold down. See, if we worship in a building like that now, I ain't gonna lie y'all, I don't know how many of my family members I would be inviting to church, especially on my daddy's side. Because you're not supposed, you're supposed to show up in the church with a Bible, not with tools. What you need boat cutters at you anyway. And saws. Thank you, brother. Saws all. Uh, exactly. Can I please get another reader for 27 through 31, please? And then we'll have to put a pin in it. I didn't, I didn't notice the clock. Verse 27. Yes, please. He put the cherubim in the innermost part of the house and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that a wing of one touched the one wall 
and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. Their other wings touched each other in the middle of the house, and he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Around all the walls of the house, he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood, the lintel, and the doorposts were five-sided. Thank you. Thank you, Elder, Elder Wilkins. Um, we're going to stick a pin in it right there. But one of the thoughts that I had when I was reading the layout of the temple and all the things that were included in its construction, the only place I could think of that is described with this much opulence is described in Revelations when they start talking about how heaven's going to be. And I'm not saying that Solomon's temple is heaven, but I'm just saying it gave me that type of visualization um, when I was going through it. So. We're gonna put a pin in it at 30, 32 is where we start in chapter six. Uh, so we will, like I say, stick a pin in that for the Elder Wilkins. How is your sister doing? By well, the way. Yeah, the good news is uh, she was released today. So I wanna thank the church. All right, I'm for sorry for I didn't put you on the spot. No I, problem. Just... No. no, I was gonna mention okay. the brother Vaughn <laughs> when he did the Devo, but. Definitely just, want to thank the church for I, praying for her. And like I said, uh, she's still not out of the woods, but you know, she was discharged uh, today. So that thanks is, again to blessing, the church Elder. for the prayers. All right. Let's, uh, we're going in. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Lord, our gracious God in heaven, we'd like to thank you again for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of life, the blessings of protection and safe travel, the blessings of healing. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us here at the Lord congregation, both near and far, as we attempt to hold on fellowship to one another, as well as walk in your word, your will, and your way. Forgive us of our many sins that do so easily beset us, and bless us and keep us safe until we meet here at the next appointed time. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Brother Sean.
Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> it, it works, huh? It's a wonderful blessing that God has allowed us to come here to be together as Christian family. I guess we're waiting on uh, the folks that are upstairs to come downstairs. I don't know if you're going to stay up there or what, but I just want to say before we get started, uh, this, I'm having a, a Matthew 13, 13 moment where they talk about it will see and not see. <laughs> I went off without my glasses tonight. <laughs> so I can see. I can see y'all, but you know, I, I won't be doing like this, okay? So uh, bear with me. Uh, as a song leader, though, you have a, a tendency to know a lot of the songs. I don't know how many verses there are, so I'll, I'll try, to, try to stay with it. <clears throat> Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus around the throne and thus around the throne. 
We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but children of the heavenly King. But children of the heavenly King may speak the joys abroad, may speak the joys abroad. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, Zion, the beautiful city of God. The hill of Zion, you the thousand sacred sweets. Before we reach the heavenly field, before we reach the heavenly field, the walk the golden street, the walk the golden. Beautiful Zion, we're marching upward to Zion, Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Is the mic on? Yes. Yes, thanks. Great. Uh, I promise that we won't be here very, very long, long enough, hopefully. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight a little bit about um, something that's uh, probably dear to all of us, and that's about children. So I uh, was doing some some thinking, and uh, we know that in Proverbs it talks about, chapter 22 talks about uh, uh, training a child up in the ways of, can you hear me? Yes, okay. And uh, they hopefully uh, we don't expect that they'll depart from it, or we don't want them to depart from it later in life. And foundations are very, very, very important. I have a list of things that I thought uh, in reviewing and looking uh, uh, online, uh, some things that uh, I thought were very interesting and could be uh, quite helpful in find the right one in furthering the discussion tonight.
Okay, this gentleman's very interesting kind of background. And really one of the biggest things for me with it was that uh, some of the things seem to uh, resemble or touch on some Christian principles. So that was really kind of what drove me. When I read something of today and I'm considering whether it's gonna be instructive or helpful, I kind of quickly am trying to balancing two things, what's being said and how close it is to scripture uh, to kind of uh, whether, uh, to decide whether or not I'm gonna, how much I'll absorb it or, or even pay attention to it. So uh, Dr. Kumar Mehta, he's PhD. Um, he's written a few books and uh, he is a senior research fellow at Senior Center for Digital Future and a member for the committee of nonprofit dedicated to fostering the well-being of children through social and emotional development. Um, so he had a list of things um, that uh, he found uh, in his research to be helpful for parents in raising uh, uh, resilient uh, kids. So number one, they push their kids to play to their strengths. So consider what you're good at. Um, and what I see also with that is a degree of honesty. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I, with me growing up, we would play games like we race up and down. We do high jump. It's hard to fake whether someone can high jump higher than you or faster. You know, the, and as time has gone on, I, and I understand it, uh, don't agree with it, that when children are participating in a sport, everybody won. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it teaches the lesson about what I'm better at and what I'm not as good at. Um, I think that there's a, a balance there, but in any event, push the kids to play to their strengths. Demonstrate the link between hard work and extraordinary outcomes. In other words, if you want this, here's what it's gonna take. And in some way or the other, age appropriate, teaching and putting uh, responsibility. I remember, I'll use myself again, uh, since I was so high, you had responsibility for helping to clean the house. Um, and so, uh, yes, I tried to get out of it. I had things to do and whatnot. And my mom was very creative. Okay, Saturday is a cleaning day. What are you gonna do Friday? So, okay, fine. You got something to do on Saturday. It's gonna get done. Uh, you're not gonna get out of it. So uh, that's another. They create a culture of striving and excellence. Once again, I think it's related to the, uh, the previous one. Getting ahead and achieving take some work in order to arrive at a point of accomplishment. They encourage self-confidence. And for me, one of the ways, uh, the best ways to learn about self-confidence is to learn what you are good at, but also persistence and trying. One of the things that I do with kids when I'm working with them in the school system is I uh, teach them games that they don't know. And if you want to see a 
whatever age man playing jacks uh, and relearning what I used to mess with the girls with when I was younger, you know, jumping in their game and just kind of playing around with it. Uh, well, it requires them to learn something they're not familiar with. And once they get that, then I switch to something else. And what I'm trying to teach you is that you will feel awkward in the beginning. You may feel you don't have much confidence, but after a period of effort and trying, you do accomplish it. And at a point, if you get pretty good at it, I try really hard to beat you at the game. <laughs> because I want to develop that, that spirit of putting a tremendous amount or a good amount of effort into it. And it's usually a game where it's not dependent on my age or my ability. So if I just happen to lose, because you are persistent, then that's the way it works out. So you're also learning as a child that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but you must keep on trying. So that's another one I found, I found to be very interesting. They promote early specialization. Find out what you're good at and, and use that. They encourage competition and improvement. Um, the competition part, you know, we might be able to debate that a little bit, but effort and improvement, that's what I see with it. Uh, in terms of achieving or working towards something in life, it does require some effort. But ultimately, what I see shining through with this is discipline. Uh, I see a lot of discipline in this. Not, I'm not talking about the physical discipline. Discipline range has a quite a range for me. If I say, I'd like for you at five o'clock to be in the house with your hands washed and ready for dinner, that's discipline. If I say you have a choice, you can watch this movie, that movie, and that movie, I'm setting some discipline in place. I'm also saying by implication, you will not watch, that's off the table, fair enough. So it's, it still comes down to me to discipline, but it comes of course in a different way, although I'm giving you some, some choices in some respects. So one last word. Book of Matthew, chapter 19. Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them, those who had brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went out from there. They are a precious commodity. Uh, it used to be that uh, for years, children were just thought of as mini adults, just little adults, until we had the concept of understanding childhood and development and whatnot. They're not little adults, they are children. 
unique and special in every way. Uh, they grow up to be adults. So the question that I ask well, very often is I'll often ask young people, would you rather speak to me or speak to your parent about this? And they say, of course, I want to speak to my parent. I don't care what it is. I'd rather my parent be here talking to me about whatever it is that's going on. So they have changed. But I think that something has been placed in us as adults and as children. And they seek, and here's, here's where the rubber beats the words, especially on that one. What I tell parents is children strive to be just like you. That's the fundamental goal. To be an adult, I'm following this model. So the question is this, what are they saying? So we want them to be good, instructive, dedicated members of the church in the future. What are they saying? If there's anything that is on your heart tonight, uh, feel free to come up at the singing of the next song. If you have been studying and you would like to put on the Lord in baptism, this is a point, a great time for us to do it. Uh, if you are listening via Zoom, contact the elders at elders at lowellchurch.net and we will address the needs just as soon as we possibly can. Thank you everyone for being patient with me. We will have the singing of the next song. Have a call. <laughs> seen in me when somebody has been so unkind to you the word spoken that pierces you through went through think how he was beguiled spat upon and reviled of Jesus be seen in you. From the dawn of the morning to close of day, in example in these and all you say, lay your gifts at his feet. Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you provide every single day, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. Let us stay disciplined, Lord. Let's learn from previous mistakes and let's set better examples for the future. As we go out today, let's set a great example for all those we meet. Say this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.